Welcome to the Prepare to Win podcast. I'm your host, Justin Oliver, here with Dane Lee. Today we're going to get into some commonly asked questions and then also uh, some Q&A questions that we've had that we haven't been able to go over. Um, the first one we're going to kick it off with, I always get asked this question um, when I take on new nutrition clients especially, um, is how much water intake you should have, uh, you should have in a day. This is it becomes complicated and becomes very individual. I know a lot of, um, there's a lot of conflicting like research on it. There's a lot of conflicting ideas. If you go just Google how much water I should take in, it's all over the place. So, um, one that I've seen that I think can be okay for minimums would be like, basically you find your weight in kilos and okay, that's the amount of water you should be drinking in ounces a day. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's all right for minimums because if you take, for example, like, you know, um, a hundred kilo person, you know, 220 pounds. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is not even a gallon of water a day. Do you know what I mean? For someone that is, um, is that weight generally, like, like I said, this might be okay for minimums of a person that's semi sedentary, um, Maybe they work a desk job, something like that. Mm-hmm. But for someone who's active within their day, someone who you know has some some workout um, experience, like they they might work out three four times a week and just you know general forty five minutes quick kind of workout. You know you're gonna want to add a little bit, and and there is a method to figuring out um, how much water you sweat out during a workout, and then you replace that with so many ounces. I think it's like. Um, I think the calculations like per half pound is another another 12 ounces of water or eight ounces of water per half pound you sweat out or something like that uh, per half pound you lose during your workout. That's more for like, they try to figure this out when it's hot outside or like distance right. runners, stuff like that. They try to find these methods. Um, I came across one uh, who ran that study. I think it was like Harvard or someone ran this study where they had people running. They um, had where they drank. They were allowed 12 ounces of water during the run. And then however much they sweat out beyond that, they took their body weight before they ran. After they ran per half pound lost, they added back in. I believe it was like eight ounces of water or something per half pound. Anyway, there's a there's a bunch of different ways we can go about this. For most people that I'll start them on, um, it also depends what we're trying to do. Sometimes I like to try to get their body a little bit flushed out in the start. So we might go with like 75% of your body weight in ounces. You know what I mean? Which, again, depends on how heavy they are and things like that because that could get pretty scary. Um, But um, there's other ones. What's uh, a couple of the other ones I've seen before? There's another one. It's like, uh, I think it's 50% of your body weight in ounces. So, you know, if you're, uh, if you're 150 pounds, you drink 75 ounces, mm-hmm. you know, 200 pounds, you drink a hundred ounces. Um, again, I, I think, you know, that's pretty good for, for finding minimums and things. And then you're going to have to take into account, okay, what, what's my activity level, you know, am I someone who's doing high intense training where I'm sweating heavily all the time, you know, for 20, 30 minutes, you know, am I someone who's doing powerlifting where it's like, okay, I might build up a sweat, but I'm not, it's not excessive. 
you know, what environment are you working out in? Are you working out in the heat? Are you working out in a cooler, you know, AC, you know, facility during the summer? You know, all these things you kind of have to take into play. And, um, you know, from there, we're not going to get into like the, the electrolytes and the sodium and all that stuff. We're just talking just straight water. From there also, you have to consider like, what's kind of your goal too? Like, you know what I mean? So if you plan to lift and then you plan to go on a run afterwards, you're not going to just like lift, not drink any water and go on a four mile run. Right. You know what I'm saying? So you have to kind of play with it there. And then the other thing is there's a simple method called a piss test. You literally just pee and Mm -hmm. you take the color of your urine and it will tell you if you're dehydrated or not. So if you drink X amount for, you know, try three or four days, if your pee is yellow, dark yellow, especially Mm -hmm. getting into like more of a brownish look, that's not good. But there's good indicators like, you know, a light yellow is is okay, you know, to clear, you know, and Mm -hmm. now you don't want to consume so much water that you actually flush everything out too much too. And I think, I think that's a problem. But the reason I bring this up also is because like a common thing is people will say, well, am I supposed to drink a gallon of water a day? And that's that's like the gold standard. Oh, what? Like a a gallon of water a day is what I'm supposed to drink. That's not, that's not for everybody. Right. You could need a gallon quarter. You could need a gallon and a half. You could need less than a gallon, Mm -hmm. you know? So there's a bunch of different ways to figure this out. I know you probably have some input on that as well, but the method that we were taught is like you were saying, you weigh yourself before you weigh yourself, you know, after activity, then you also, you think like, how many times did you go to the bathroom during activity mm-hmm. kind of thing? And then you can get an estimate on how much weight did you lose because of water with those? And then you break it down on how much you want to drink per hour during the activity. Yeah. That's just the activity. That's uh, not for the overall day. Yeah. A lot of what I had learned was, the basic methods that are like the rule of thumb, like you were saying, like you take your body weight either in kilos or like half your body weight in ounces. Mm-hmm. Uh, so for me, it'd be, you know, 90 ounces of mm-hmm. water a day. If I go and practice for three hours, like there's no way that's it. enough. Yeah. yeah. Even on a day where I don't do that much at this point, that's not hard to do because mm-hmm. you kind of build that into the routine. Um, but if I am doing massage for several hours a day and I go out and I coach on the floor for a couple of hours and then there's a tr- weight training session, there's like that you don't hit a minimum yeah. or you, the, hitting the minimum isn't enough yeah. at that point. So I like that there are like catchy rules of thumb like that that are out mm-hmm. there to help people like, you know, drink a gallon a day because it at least starts someone yeah. thinking about it. But that's that can't be the end. No, kind of the conversation can't stop there. That's yeah. like, that's intro information. Um, and then figuring out how much you want to have throughout the day. And then during the workout mm. itself, like all those kinds of things, those are really important from a performance standpoint mm-hmm. and using little cues. Like you talked about, like what is the color of your urine when you're going, yeah. um, how often you're actually going yeah. to the bathroom? Like, you could have someone who is peeing completely clear and it's because they just had a whole lot of caffeine and it's going to start to pull water out of the body. And mm-hmm. it's like, look, I just pissed clear. Yeah. I'm hydrated. No, you're not. Like the water that was in you is starting to get pulled out because yeah. it's a diuretic, uh, you know, things like that. So knowing tools like that in order to 
take that basic information that some people seem to have and then kind of take it up a notch, like level up yeah. on what you can do with it. And really helpful. The timing of it that, you know, that you're kind of talking about, um, that's important too. So in the morning is a time when you need to take in, even if you feel like, Oh, I drank some water. No, drink more. Mm-hmm. Um, in the morning, especially because you got to remember you're, you, unless you're sipping a bunch of water through the night, like you, you probably haven't had any water for, you know, eight, nine hours, mm-hmm. you know, maybe longer if you didn't drink much before you went to bed. So in the mornings, uh, you can be pretty dehydrated. And, um, like I've waken up before and like things are cramping up and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So drinking in the morning, you know, I usually drink a, about a, uh, you know, these water bottles, I, you always see me carry them around. Mm-hmm. You know, I always drink, let's call it 32 ounces of water mm-hmm. right there in, in the morning within probably the first, I'd say hour, hour and a half that I'm up, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and then I refill it and, you know, just kind of go about my day. So, you know, morning important before workout important, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the day is important, but you know, get a little bit before the workout. It's a good time to start throwing in, uh, maybe a little bit of electrolyte powder, maybe, um, you know, a little bit, if it's in the summer, something like salt, stuff yeah. like that, things that are going to help kind of hold that water. Uh, glycerin is good. Things mm-hmm. like that. Um, they're going to help hold that water in a little bit. And then during the workout post-workout is very important to get, keep getting yeah. your body hydrated throughout that time as well. So yes, you should be drinking water all day, but it's very important that you, you don't allow yourself to become overly, dehydrated during a workout before a workout mm-hmm. intro workout you know what i mean during that time because you gotta remember your muscles are moving and things and they move better whenever you're hydrated mm-hmm. your performance can drop significantly um, oh yeah you know three four five percent if you're depending on how dehydrated you are and if you don't think that matters that can mean missing you know in powerlifting that can mean missing a lift missing reps you know things fatiguing quicker stuff like that so I had yeah. info on that one. I brought it up here as you were talking earlier because I wanted to mm-hmm. try and find it. And they did studies on it where they showed that if someone started to have like even a 2% drop in hydration, they could have like a 6 to 7% drop in increase. Yep. Now, this was uh, time to fatigue for runners. Yeah. I mean, but that concept, maybe it's not that exact percentage when you look at something like powerlifting or weightlifting or mm-hmm. something like that. But that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Yeah. You're still going to see a performance detriment yep. in the training. You know, some, from something as simple as just drinking water. And when you talk about the timing of it, it's so crucial to have that routine because if you get to the point where you're thirsty, it's too late. Nope. Like your body isn't going to be able to take in that water in a way that's going to be useful for that workout. If you're relying on water during the workout, yeah. it's got to be the water that you're drinking in the morning before you get there. Yeah. And then you're maintaining it with yeah. what you're drinking during. And, you know, hydrating after is setting yourself up for hydration the next day. Yeah. Like all those steps and the timing are super important, not just in the moment, but mm-hmm. for the continual hydration from workout so to workout. I, I think, you know, since I've been young, playing sports and things, I we actually had a um, athletic trainer that was actually had a brain. Um, and he taught us a lot of things. And that, that I remember that stuck with me, you know, I probably was 15 when I heard that the first time he's like, he said the same thing. Like if you're thirsty, then you're already dehydrated mm-hmm. and they would make us like during two days in the, you know, middle of the summer, they would have us 
you know, every so often there was like a timer. Okay, everyone has to go drink water and then come back. You know what I mean? And sometimes it was a two-minute break, get water quick, everyone, let's go back. And sometimes, you know, it was a 10-minute break, sit in the shade, drink water, you know, have a piece of fruit and then come mm -hmm. back. And it was like, you know, those little things, those little tips helped a lot, mm -hmm. you know, and it kind of stuck with me, especially on the, the, that water side. So I've never really had too much of a problem with drinking water. Um, the other side of that, for those that take like anabolics, that's it's very dumb to take anabolics and allow your body to get dehydrated. Mm -hmm. Your um, internal organs, liver and kidneys and things already have enough work to do okay, and yeah. dehydrating yourself isn't going to be any, isn't going to make it any better. And also like there are certain things that you take that are going to need um, how do I say this? They help you retain more water or they want to retain more water. So you need to give it more water. Mm -hmm. um, there are some things that you take that are very drying. So you need to make sure that you're properly hydrated. So um, I yeah. was wrong. I, I double checked it. 2% drop in body weight from water is 10, 10, to, 50, 10 to 15. Yeah. 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 And then 3 to 5% drop in body weight from water begins to compromise cardiovascular function. Mm-hmm. So that's, I mean, it's really not that hard. I mean, how, how many times have you done a hard workout in the summer and you go and weigh yourself and you drop like five pounds yeah, from sweating your ass yeah, off? Yeah, I haven't, um, I haven't done the, the before and after weigh in a long time, but I, I've done it before where it was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> you know, back when I didn't even weigh this much, I was like, oh shit, I lost four pounds during that. Mm -hmm. You know, so, um, yeah, it's very important to, to get that done and you know, cutting weight if you have to do it, that, you gotta remember like that's one minute time of dehydrating yourself. And mm -hmm. that's why though, it's important. Those stats are why it's important to get your weight down instead of doing a harsh, harsh water cut. Yeah. You know, you want to do it in a manageable way so you don't have to worry about those detriments. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Cause if you don't bounce back, you're fucked. You're so, set. You, so you started talking about, and you were saying it in relation to anabolics, but are there certain foods that you want to uh, take into consider hydration? So if you were to have something that's a very uh, sodium-rich meal, yeah. uh, looking at that, or are there certain foods that are going to, uh, or meals that are going to pull water out more so, that you want to consider you know, the timing of what you're drinking so you can balance that's, that out? Well, that's, that's kind of another thing that, so I have clients that, um, I, I mean, actually, it just happened this morning where one had a refeed and was like, oh, is it normal to like gain weight after her refeed, you know, and it, it must have been like a decent jump in weight. And it's like, I've seen it go both ways. But in that, I don't know what you ate. It, mm -hmm. it highly depends on what you ate. So things that um, are high in sodium, you know, obviously, like, that's going to help you retain more water. Mm -hmm. So um, drinking more water, it's important, like, let me put it this way. If you eat a high sodium meal mm -hmm. and you want to get rid of that weight, yes, you want to drink more water to one, flush out that sodium later. But also if you don't drink a lot of water, that sodium is going to pull water from somewhere mm -hmm. and somewhere in your body. And it's probably going to be from your muscles mm -hmm. and then you're going to cramp, you know what I mean? Then mm -hmm. you're going to cramp, then things aren't going to feel good. So it's like, oh yeah, I took in a, a lot of sodium. I don't know why I'm cramping because you didn't drink enough water with the sodium. That would be why, you know, People like so, electrolytes, it helps with cramping. It's like when done properly. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that's one example. Another example is like if you eat, um, you know, kind of in my opinion, like if you eat a very high fatty food, mm -hmm. you know, it's good to be hydrated. It aids in digestion. 
you know, if, every, if everything's kind of dried out, it's hard to break things down. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Stuff like that. So it's good to have um, everything hydrated. Um, you also have to remember, like, whenever you intake your carbohydrates and things, like, of course, you're going to have to like, storage, all that stuff. But it also feeds on water, too. It'll help hold it. So, like, when we drop out carbs, some water and glycogen comes with. But, like, glycogen still only accounts for a little bit bit in the body it's not like you're gonna drop 20 pounds based on glycogen stores or something crazy you know but that helps kind of manipulate and pull and retain okay. as well so if you ever um, especially if people are dieting and then eat a heavy carb meal and drink mm-hmm. a ton of water there it almost looks like someone took them and like inflated their muscles yeah because everything just like mm-hmm. yeah pops out so um yeah things to take into consideration there that's why like i hate when that's why i have my clients i tell them Weigh yourself one time a week on your check-in day because mm-hmm. if they sit there and weigh themselves every day, it starts to get in their head and they don't correlate like sodium intake to water yeah. gain to maybe you eat something that takes longer to digest and it's not digested. I mean, you have poop in you, mm-hmm. things like that. <clears throat> so, you know, people don't take into play like every little thing. I watched my weight earlier this week. I started eating a little bit more, more carb. Um, intake, things like that, more fatty intake, just overall caloric intake. Mm-hmm. Plus I had some high sodium meals. I watched my weight jump four or five pounds, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like kind of sat there. I know if I bring down my sodium, I'm probably going to flush out uh, a couple pounds of that pretty quickly. Yeah. So it's like always funny. Um, you hear this a lot in like gen pop people is like, Oh my God, I went on, uh, I went on a trip this weekend. Oh, gained so much weight, <laughs> you know? No, you didn't gain no. you. Yes. You gained seven pounds over the weekend, but almost all of that is from the water mm-hmm. that is sitting in your body right now yes. from all the sodium and stuff and for all the food that hasn't kind of came out yet. It is and, physiologically impossible yeah. for you to put seven pounds of fat on your body in 48 hours. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Now, if you eat like that every weekend or trip like that every weekend, yes, you're going to gain, you're going to gain yeah. that over time. But yeah, <laughs> so I gained 15 pounds over vacation. Like, no, hell of a weekend. <laughs> Tell me how to do that. I will let I will let everybody trying to gain weight know, and yeah. we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there in two weeks. So I know we could talk about this one for a long time, and mm-hmm. not to go down too much of a rabbit hole with it, but the one that I ended up learning from personal experience as far as foods that take water out that typically you might not think about. Um, so things that I'm sensitive to, like if I eat a lot of fructose, mm-hmm. it's an irritant to my intestines my the body will start to pull water hold, out. hold on notice notice what he said to his his yeah individual very yeah. individual the, everyone's got can't eat fructose no, don't have fruit <laughs> it's like no if you know that there are foods that you're sensitive to for one yeah. reason or another and like the same thing with celiacs but um something that i'm not quote-unquote allergic to mm-hmm. but my body doesn't handle fructose well mm-hmm. so when i eat it it'll pull a lot of water out in order to handle the fact that it's irritating it yeah, and I'll get bloating in the intestines and for like a day or two afterward, like I'm dehydrated because it has pulled water from somewhere, like you said, and it's trying to take care of that issue. And I have to make sure that I'm managing that by, you know, hydrating more during that time 
in order to kind of counterbalance it. Yeah. Well, one of the things I look for when people say their digestion's messed up mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, a lot of times for having trouble going, I ask them, first thing I ask them is how much water are you drinking before anything else? Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people, um, they, again, they don't correlate all of that. Mm-hmm. And it's like, sure, you ate something that isn't digesting well, but also how you drank enough water to kind of help aid help it to digest and, and in that digestion and push things through and, and all that. So that's, that's kind of a, I don't want to get too deep into poops, <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it's one of those things that kind of comes with it. And it's like, note to sell future poop yeah, episode. We need to, yeah, we need to get, uh, <laughs> we need to get like a gastro on here or something. so we can talk about poops. Got and, it. Yeah. Anyway, well, we won't go down that road, but anyway, Original point, water is important. So let's move on to the next question. All right. Uh, the next one yet. How many meals should you eat per day? Again, talking about uh, the new yeah. nutrition clients coming on. Yeah. So this is a, another commonly asked question that I get. Um, so I'll plan people out as far as like how many meals I think are optimal for the day. But again, people understand like the meal timing is not the the meal separation and all that stuff and meal timing isn't the most important thing on the list. Mm-hmm. So if I say I want you to eat seven meals a day and you can only eat four in a day, like that's not a big deal. You know what I mean? On the, the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. I just, for adherence purposes and timing around the workouts for trying to be optimal, mm-hmm. I like to time um, certain you know, macronutrients around a workout. You know, I like to time certain macronutrients at night, you know, things like that. It doesn't mean like that's the end all and we have to do that every single day, you know, if you get busy or whatever, but we're trying to adhere as close as possible because if you don't, then by the end of the day, it's like, oh shit, I have 1500 calories to eat. And that's, you know, if you're eating good foods, okay, maybe that's three or four meals for you. Um, you might have to really binge down on food mm-hmm. and imagine, imagine if that's just like uh beef and rice, steak and rice, or like something like that, potatoes, whatever, that's a lot of food, mm-hmm. you know? So what ends up happening is then people go off track and eat something shittier because they need to make up those calories, you know? So for adherence purposes, you know, that's why I like the meals. Generally, most people are going to eat four to six a day. Mm-hmm. And when I'm saying meals, that's consisting of snacks and meals. Mm-hmm. That's not meaning you're sitting down at the dinner table six times a day eating full plates. Right. Like unless you are, you know, a strong man on, you know, and you're 400 pounds and you're yeah. on a 10 meal a day diet or whatever. But, um, <clears throat> you know, that's, that's counting kind of everything. So typically you should have about four solid meals and two, two snacks a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not too hard to do if you actually attempt it. Um, if you get busy, if you're someone that's just, Oh, I'm busy. I'm too busy to eat set reminders, mm-hmm. set. I do that. Set timers, set whatever you need to eat. Cause we've all been there. Mm-hmm. You know, I've came in how many times and I've ate my breakfast, you know, maybe done this podcast or done something else in the gym before I know it. Shit. Like, it's one o'clock and I haven't eaten my lunch yet. Mm-hmm. Got to eat my lunch. And then I know, okay, I need to make this up. So I'll eat like a snack or something else immediately after and a couple hours later, I'm right back on track. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, or the, if you, if you know, 
at work. Like you should be able to get a snack and a meal in. But if you know that work is limited and your time on your break is limited, Mm -hmm. make a dense meal for that time. Yeah. The reminders are really important. I get lost in work so often. Mm -hmm. And even when I'm thinking to myself, oh, it's, it's one o'clock. I should eat something real quick. It's like, well, I'm going to finish this first. Like I'm on a roll. I'm in a flow. Like this is going really well. I don't want to interrupt that only to have so many times where I, as I come out of that, I crash because I haven't eaten and it just ruins the entire effect. Like now for hours afterward, I'm trying to catch up to where I was before and it's not worth, you know, that hour, hour and a half of not stopping. Um, but there are a lot of people who I've talked to that don't realize what that feels like because they've done it so often that it's normal for them. Yeah. Like, well, you know, I just do like two meals a day. How? How? Yeah. Oh, remember, uh, was that last week I was telling you, like, I think you were coming back and said, Hey, I got to go. Cause like lately, um, you know, I was trying to kind of purposefully, but not a lot, but I was trying to bring my weight down just a little bit, mm-hmm. you know? And my thing is like once I start to do that little bit of high intense, and I've talked about this before, my my metabolism's ridiculous, you know. So just a little bit and cutting cutting food out and a little bit of high intense, like it started to drop my body weight quicker. Mm-hmm. So I'm like constantly hungry all day, every day, you know. So I started monitoring things like my blood sugar, and I noticed I was getting. I remember I was outside one day, and I had worked out, came home, and like I had I had a a a snack basically like I had like a bowl of cereal and a protein shake and I wanted to go outside and I, I need to get some things moved over to like our fire pit or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't like strenuous work or anything. And then I planned to eat my meal after that mm-hmm. and went out and I was doing that. And all of a sudden, like I just felt like complete shit and I go in my, my blood sugar ran down to 53. Oh wow. Yeah. And I was like, I, I told Lindsay, I'm like, something's wrong. Like I feel like shit. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, and, um, I, I had that, I started monitoring my blood sugar then mm-hmm. after I ate and, um, you know, seeing how long it took blood sugars to come down, how high they spiked mm-hmm. stuff like that. And I did this for a few days and I started to notice like that my blood sugars don't jack up ultra high after meals or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they're pretty much in line with where they should be, you know, in that like one teens, one twenties range, you know, mm-hmm. um, you don't we'll get into blood sugar stuff later, yeah. but that's not, that's normal for your blood sugar to kind of do that. And then, you know, it comes back down or whatever, mm-hmm. but like the crash, like I started looking all kinds of shit up. I'm like, why is it doing this? And I, I realized I'm like, Oh, dumbass, You probably restricted too many calories too quickly. You know? And that's another thing, but people live that way every day. You it's like you said, it. they don't realize like the effect it has. And I can tell usually about 20, 30 minutes before I'm like, you know, you start to feel like yeah. just a little bit unfocused. You start to feel like you're dazing out a little bit. You know, you feel like a little bit weak and stuff. But there's people that live their life like that every day. It becomes normal for and them. And that's why when they, you know, I have so many people I get on nutrition, they eat like three meals a day. It's nothing great, you know. And then I give them these meals and this plan. And the first, almost the first thing every time within the first two or three weeks, I feel so much better through my day. I feel like I have a mm-hmm. ton of energy. Like workouts are great, all this stuff. Yeah. How many times have we said it is literally life changing when you realize how much energy you're supposed to have yeah. <laughs> simply by eating enough. Mm-hmm. Not and eating the proper food yeah. even too. But yeah, just simply eating enough is a is a whole other thing. 
Yeah, so that that kind of touches on that. What's what we got next? Uh, at home massage for bicep pain, moving into the recovery realm. So during the whole shutdown mm-hmm. with like quarantine, the pandemic, and everything, there were a number of online clients that I was working with. Like I would just do a video chat with them and helping them out with some bicep issues. And this is what I thought of when the question came in was trying to figure out how to help someone who's, and there wasn't context around like bicep pain. So you could do a really general, just like sit there and dig in with your fingers or like, you know, do uh, what we would call effleurage or like a stroke method where it's just like, you know, squeeze Mm -hmm. and running up it. But the thing that I would want someone to know when it comes to the bicep pain is when it's happening in relation to the workout. So if you're having bicep pain during a workout, you're going to do something very different than if you're having bicep pain, like 24 to 48 hours after, because that tells you something about where the the state of the tissue is And it. So if you have a current injury and you're going over and you're trying to do lat pull down and it hurts, okay. In that state with the inflammation that's going on in the state of the tissue, you don't want to sit there and start digging into it because mm-hmm. it can't really handle it. Um, you would want to do things that are more, well, obviously like stop doing the lat pull down, like decrease your intensity on that, but you want range of motion. You want really light, low intensity. And that's all you, if you have a, a stim unit, I love those. Those are fantastic to use while you're doing movement. Cause you're going to get all that blood flow. But so let's take that one off the table mm-hmm. for a second. Bicep pain, uh, the day after, like two days after. You would want to start with something that's going to prep the area. You can foam roll it. You can hand massage it. You could uh, hypervolt in this case is actually really good because you want to think of that initial portion as like the warm up massage, like as yeah. getting ready to do what you're going to do. Second one as you're doing it is you start to do what's called uh, transverse fiber where you're going uh, perpendicular to the muscle. So the bicep runs, if you think like from yeah. the elbow up to the shoulder, you're going across that and you're not doing a ton of it, maybe like a minute or two going through, but that's really stimulating for the fiber and the blood flow. As you're doing that, start paying attention. If there's like one or two areas that are hypersensitive, you're going to hit those. You find those trigger points, mm-hmm. push pressure on it. You get to like a five or six out of 10, and then you start moving with that. So it's, you just think of it like a bicep curl. Yeah, I get blood flow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're you're fo- you're forcing it to like stretch and open up on that one area, mm. but you're not doing it so much that you're going to irritate it and like start having more pain the next day. Yeah. I mean, you're talking five minutes of work yeah. going into it. And when you're done, you do a nice, easy bicep stretch. I mean, I would just say look one up on yeah. YouTube with it. It'd be a lot easier than trying to so explain it, audio. So you don't just put a hundred pound piece of steel on it. Right. That you don't just do that. I thought that's what, okay. It's becoming uh, a popular thing. Ah, uh, tempering. Yeah. Different conversation. All right. And then when you're all done, you give it a light exercise. Mm-hmm. You take a band, you do some curls, you do a light lat pull down, you know, anything like that where you're going to get some activation in there. Mm-hmm. Like that's an easy go-to for yeah. at home. And as long as you're not doing that, uh, like every single day, cause you don't want to do trigger point every day. Yeah. Um, just like you wouldn't want to do deep tissue every day. Maybe like in every other and just don't overdo how often you do it. And you can mm-hmm. see really good results from doing something that simple. I mean, we can do a video easily enough, like showing how to do that. But, you know, people are like, well, I'm going to do the stim unit and I'm going to scrape it and I'm going to do cupping on it. And I'm like, those can be good, but it's the timing of when you're doing it. And if you do all of those at the same time, it's 
you're going to cause more harm than good. Well, I shouldn't say harm necessarily, but more irritation and inflammation than any benefit yeah. going through it. That's what, um, like I know when I've had my pains, like I try to, how do I say this? I leave like the big things to you because mm. I feel like if I, you know, I'll do my mobility and I'll start like with my elbow, like, mm-hmm. you know, that I've had recently, like I've been, you know, I'll do some things like I'll push on the end of the tricep head and things like this, but I don't go like, dig in the back of the butter knife into it. I yeah. don't like do anything crazy at home because I don't want that irritation to actually make it worse. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I think there's people I'll do that. They go automatically like to the top end. Like I said, like they'll start tempering areas instead of like, that's not what you need. <laughs> like right. you might just need a little bit of blood flow. You might just need to, like you said, a, um, a little bit of trigger point or something, not do stick this, you know, whatever they are, 40 pound, 80 pound, hundred pound mm-hmm. piece of steel into that area. Like that's not right. always the, the end all be all and the cure of everything. So can it work? Yes. But I mean, the more specific the tool you're using, mm-hmm. the more specific the time it needs yeah. to be used. I think, well, I think again, cause we're experts in everything because of the internet, I think that's <laughs> the, that's the problem is like, you see people that, and you know what, a lot of the people that do it are the people that are also doing their own programming and don't think they ever need to know anything from anyone, but they just like grab all these tools that make no sense and they just put them into their recovery and like, oh, this should work. Mm-hmm. I wish so people would think of recovery. I know I've said it before. I won't go down too far with it, but think of it like carpentry. Mm-hmm. Every tool has a specific purpose and time to be used. Like, yeah, you can use a hammer to put a screw in, but it's going to look like shit afterward. It's not going to work really well. Or yeah. you could just take a freaking screwdriver and it'll go easier uh-huh. and it'll happen faster and it's going to look way better. You're going to yeah. have a better result as you're going through. Yeah. It's like, and the more specific the tool that you have, not everything is just like duct tape and WD-40. Yeah. Like some things are way better. Like dry needling is super effective yeah. when it's done at the right time in the right way. Mm-hmm. And when you just throw it in kind of like mm-hmm. at, on a whim, it doesn't do any, well, no. it, it does do things. It just, those aren't beneficial. Yeah. And like same thing with tempering. I that, wish there was like a specific like outline of stages of doing things, but I know there's so many, and there's so many problems out there. It'd be hard to say that, but like, Here's this, like if, if someone has pain in the bottom of a squat, you know, in Mm -hmm. whatever their quad or something, I don't know, you know what I mean? Like, or maybe it's at this range, they start to get patellar pain or something. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's like, okay, we can diagnose that and we know the steps to take to get back to full function. Mm -hmm. Right. But like there, I I wish there was, okay, we're going to start with this protocol then move to this, then we can move a little bit more extreme to this. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that might look like, okay, again, I'm just talking out my ass here, but like it could be like, okay, first we're going to m- massage the area lightly. We're going to do a little bit of trigger. Mm-hmm. Okay, kind of didn't go away. Okay, let's try some stim in here. Let's try uh, a little bit of cupping. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, maybe that. Okay, now we go to dry needling. or You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the more invasive things. It's like... It'd be so nice if there was just a step-by-step protocol. And I know that's not possible for everything, but like just so people can kind of understand like here's my new and here's where you could end up. You know what I mean? A yeah. scale. Because, you know, it's just not scalable. That's I think that's the whole problem with it. It's just hard for people to grasp it. Do you know what I mean? And very individualistic. Yeah. But yeah. There were, 
I did something similar a while back with uh, like one of the whiteboard sessions where I talked about how like there are time frames. Like if you do a, but it was in relation to the recovery aspect f- after doing it. So like mm-hmm. if you do a deep tissue massage, you don't want to do it within this window prior to blank, uh, and also this amount of time after like a certain yeah. event. Yeah. Um, it was also done for trigger point, and it talked about like the number of days that you, you need to recover mm-hmm. from that. Like you have to recover from your recovery, which mm-hmm. sounds like counterintuitive, but it's yeah. true. Anyone who's gotten a deep tissue massage, you know, you feel beat up yeah. for a couple of days. It's like a Venn diagram thing. Yeah. Like. Did this happen? And this and Blake. We'll go here. Mm-hmm. Uh, this right, happened. Okay, this wait three days. <laughs> Still Maybe. not recovered. Go here. <laughs> then diagram. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it, it would be kind of convenient to at least flow, you know, so people kind of start to understand a little bit because it, it is a hard field to understand. Mm-hmm. Again, that's why you go to people that know what they're talking about. I, I, I get so sick of lifters or any athletes saying, yeah, I've been dealing with this pain for four months. Oh, have you seen anyone? No, I just been kind of doing more mobility. I've been doing some rolling out. Uh, oh, okay, well, good luck with that. Like, you need to t- be proactive and take initiative. You know, um, and that's one of the hardest things about having online clients as well. Is like, all people say, "Oh, yeah, this is still bothering me." Have you seen anyone on it? It's been six weeks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Something is bothering you that long. It's probably been time to ask someone who it can be their hands-on or is more of a professional on mm-hmm. it. So anyway, there was this fantastic breakdown from, gosh, it was like 10 years ago mm-hmm. that I first heard this, where they talked about the different uh, levels of recovery, mm-hmm. but they talked about, they didn't say necessarily specific examples, but they did like uh, phase one for recovery or level one for recovery were the things that you could do by yourself, no equipment. So like stretching, um, active movement, like things like that, just really basic. The next one was things you could do yourself, but it was with equipment. So it'd be like foam rolling, trigger point with a lacrosse ball, uh, using a band to stretch, that kind of stuff. Number three was uh, necessary for someone else to do. So this is chiropractic, massage, physical therapy, uh, dry needling. Mm-hmm. Then number four was what they refer to as like the sci-fi level, where this is where the cryogenic stuff started coming in. This is where uh, like SARMs or peptides would start coming in, the PRP injection stem cells. They're not literally sci-fi. They're all easily available Like yeah. if you know where to look and who to talk to. But they're the ones that not only do you need a very specific professional to do it, um, it's very specific equipment yeah. to do it. And as a nerd, like I love that because if you have that information to someone and you're like, well, do you have equipment? No. Okay. You're stuck here. Like these are your options. Yeah. But if we know what we're working with, let's try to maximize what we can get out of that. Mm-hmm. And I mean, honestly, that's one of the first things I ended up talking to, uh, when I was doing the video conferencing with, you know, online clients, it's like, what do you have available? You have a butter knife? All right, we can do IASTM or like scraping. Do you have a trigger point? Uh, you have a tennis ball, a cross ball. You have a soup can. I can make a soup can work for trigger point if I have to and just MacGyver this shit. But like, what do you have available? And if the answer is nothing, I can still help you. Mm-hmm. It's just now we know kind of like what level we're working with on yeah. how much I can help. Yeah. All right, what's, uh, we got probably time for one more. Okay. Uh, going along that same line, but elbow pain after bench volume increases. And I really like this one. I know we were talking 
before we started, but um, this is something that like you and I have worked on. Mm -hmm. uh, it's a common thing that you see with lifters, especially after they come out of uh, like a competition and like they go through that period of like off season or off training and they start to come back to volume for the bench. And, you know, they start uh, having maybe different accessories that they're doing that are necessary for getting ready for next competition. And they start complaining about the elbow pain no. that comes along with it. Uh, the one in particular that is happening, it wasn't from this person who asked the question, but someone who I'm actually working with right now, um, they have a lot of tricep work that they're doing, but they switched over to a football bar. Mm -hmm. And they're having some issues uh, with their tricep just because it hasn't been worked like that. Yeah. So uh, the first thing that comes to mind, not because I know we've talked about accessories in the past and things that kind of go along with that, is like what equipment have you switched mm -hmm. as well? Uh, taking that stuff into consideration. Yeah. Um, if you have a change in volume and a change in equipment, like right away that might be a conversation you want to have with the coach and be like, I don't, is there something we can do to accommodate that? Yeah. Yeah, with elbow pain, it's, it's, it's one of those things like, again, if a lifter's having it, yes, we can accommodate and we can switch things up. Um, sometimes it's, it's not really the program fault or what they're doing mm -hmm. fault as much as it is their own of not doing their mobility. Yeah. Not actually taking care of their body in that manner. Like, you know, um, for example, like what happened with my elbow recently, that was, I mean, just a random thing that happened. Mm -hmm. I just woke up one day and I thought I just slept on it wrong or something. But apparently one of the movements I was doing with my triceps, uh, is the only thing I could pinpoint that caused it to kind of flare up for mm -hmm. where everything's hurting and stuff. So, you know, in that case, was it a mobility thing? Was it all that? No, it was, you know, I clearly probably overloaded one of my tricep exercises too much and, you know, got that elbow in a compromised position. Mm -hmm. That's all there is to it. You know, it's going it's to need time to, for that inflammation to go down, it's going to need time to heal up. You know, but there's other times where it's like, you know, if you're having a bunch of elbow pain and let's say it's coming from like, say you're having bicep pain or something. Mm -hmm. First thing I ask is like, well, okay, what mobility have you done to correct it or to help it? Yeah. You know, you know what? And then I start looking at like their hands and their squat and things like that, mm -hmm. where, where that position is as well. But like a lot of this stuff stems from you not taking care of your body with your recovery or with your mobility, mm -hmm. you know, but someone comes to me, the first thing I say is, what have you done for it? Yeah. Have you been stretching it? Have you been foam yeah. rolling it? Have you done any the, other? Yeah. Those people are like, oh, I can never use a straight bar because I, I've always get bicep pain. No, you know, it's because you haven't taken the time to get mobile. You like, know what I mean? Is there like a really small percentage of the population yeah. that might not be able to do it? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. of like, you know, genetic or physiological yeah. disposition. You're probably not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's generally <laughs> not that. So those people, um, you know, a lot of times they have poor pec health, poor shoulder health, Yeah. you know, and it's like you, you don't do anything and you're always, and we won't get into it. We'll be on a tangent for <laughs> if we go down the anatomy side of it all. But the, the point being like, if you're having elbow pain, that's how it needs to be diagnosed is like, did I just do a movement that flared it? And what was that movement? Um, what can you pinpoint a specific time? Was it mm -hmm. something that developed over time? Yeah. Then you need to be communicative with your coach, let them know like, Hey, elbow pain. Here's why. Mm -hmm. Here's when it started. Here's what's flaring it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Things like also, that. Also, here's what I'm doing to help it. Yeah. Like I had a lifter. Um, she did, 
she couldn't get in the front rack position for front squats. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, well, she could, but it hurt the wrist a little bit. Okay. So we're, okay. Cross body for front squats, she, you know, can't really rack it well, well, real well, and it, it hurt her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Okay, we can't do that. So then I remember we switched to front squat with the safety bar. Okay. And when she was in that position where you're kind of hugging the bar, she somehow stretched from what I, I gather, she like stretched out the ligaments in, in tendons in the back in, in her wrist. Okay. Causing it to basically like, where, you know, you can't bend it back uh, very well or mm-hmm. anything. And it was just kind of stiff on her and it had a lot of pain, um, which was highly surprising to me. Because, like, it's kind of hard. I mean, I get how it can happen in that position, but it's like, shouldn't really. It's not something that you would ever expect. Shouldn't really to happen. happen, but yeah. But um, it was probably just the way her uh, her wrist was flexed. Mm-hmm. And then the just the internal pressure and the pressure of, like, she was probably squeezing back on the bar a lot. Because if you just do this and squeeze, like, you could feel that stretch, mm-hmm. you know. So it was probably something like that. But, um, you know, then that wrist bothered her for like a month or whatever, five weeks, and we had to adjust a lot of things because mm-hmm. of that little thing. You know what I mean? But we pinpointed exactly this is what happened. This was from that specific. You know? Yeah. So it's like when we came back to that later to try it again. Like I made sure we're not going to overload that position. Yeah. You know, and try to make it as comfortable as possible. So. See, this is why I love the team aspect of like what's going on at the gym. Um, how many times have you had somebody who says to you, uh, I have this going on, you automatically make accommodations to the program as necessary. You talk to them from a technique standpoint and mm-hmm. a programming standpoint, like, you know, did we jump volume too much or intensity too much? Mm-hmm. Did we, uh, put a exercise in there that, you know, doesn't work well for you or are you just not doing it well? Yeah. And then here are the things that we're going to help out. So not only do you learn better so that it doesn't happen again. Um, but like you said with this girl, like we're going to come into it in a better way next time. Well, also you come and talk to me and say, Hey, here's something that I'm seeing. What are your thoughts? Mm -hmm. And then I can say just, you know, from a, like a biomechanic standpoint, like here's something that I might do, Mm -hmm. uh, for a soft tissue work or recovery work, uh, for corrective exercise. She's in the loop talking to us and giving Mm -hmm. both of us information, feedback to you on as things change information to me on what she's feeling and what she's going through Mm. and it makes everything so much easier to do things get repaired really fast yeah yeah it's a complete different situation than if she were to just hang out for six weeks not mention anything to you um because she doesn't have good communication and like you said she eventually says like hey i can't do this at all and i haven't been doing it for three weeks yeah why haven't you been doing front squats for the past three weeks well it hurts why don't you say something yeah well, how long has it been going on? Like for like six weeks? Have you talked to someone? I don't know who to talk to. Yep. Yeah. Well, that's And that's the other flaw of a lot of uh, trainings. Like communications, 100%, um, you know, well, I shouldn't say 100% on the client to communicate with the coach. Everybody needs to be communicated. But the client needs to communicate with the coach. Like if we don't know, we can't help you, one. Mm-hmm. Two, like I have um, – there's, uh, I wish I could pull it up. Um, our friends down in Kentucky, one of them actually posted something good on this. Is like about like clients checking in and things. Like it's your job to check in with your coach. Like we're not going to hunt you down. We're not going to, mm-hmm. you know, come 
find you and like, hey, you haven't checked in or like whatever, you know, once in a great while, if I don't hear something from someone, uh, you know, I might give them a time or two. Hey, how's things going? I haven't haven't seen you check in mm-hmm. or, you know, hey, I need lifting videos if they haven't been sending them or something. Yeah. But once you get that like one time, if you get that time, mm-hmm. I'm not going to come babysit you. I'm not going to do it again. If you're not sending your stuff, then, you know, or if you're not communicating these issues, don't know what to tell you. Right. You know, so anyway, um, yeah, I wanted to do a quick Q and a today so that hopefully that covered some of them. Um, do some catch up right there. Yeah. Yeah. Not much coming up. Uh, by the time this comes out, Dan should be doing a seminar thing, or his level one course. So hopefully you signed up for it because we told you about it a couple of times. Right. Check out, um, on the website soon. Hopefully by this time I should have some different things on this template, uh, to be able to kind of sign up for your first month on it. If not, just email the gym and we'll get you set up on the 52 week powerlifting template. It's a very affordable price. So for those that need it, it gives you, like I said, 52 weeks outlined and it's sent out on a weekly basis. So good thing to have. Yeah. So that should be up there. Um, people have been asking about the meets and things and what, mm-hmm. when we're going to do them, all those registrations and signups, we do have, um, a couple meets that are going to be scheduled, hopefully, um, one in August now, the Kentucky open, and then, um, two in the fall, those registrations probably won't come out until about April or May. So for everyone asking, pay attention to that. We will announce it a lot and you'll see it spread a lot. And then we'll have registration on that same website under events. So um, we should have all that up on the site here soon. Yeah, that's pretty much it for today. You got anything else? No. Well, we'll see you all later. Have a good one.